Matthew chapter 6. Come to a new section in the Messiah's Manifesto, Matthew chapter 6. The topic that will be addressed in this sixth chapter is a difficult one for me because of its polar applications and meaning, even biblically. Talking about a four-letter word, it is a carnal and self-serving word in Christianity today, and the word is give. And then there is a godly and heart-sensitive word. And that word is give. And we're going to learn in Matthew chapter 6 that most people in the context of a church don't give. And it's surprising to me how little And not at all. And some of you have given for real. And some of you today did not give and yet give. That's where we're going. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 4. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street that they may have the glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Father, this morning we thank you for this shift of emphasis in the teaching ministry of our Lord, King Jesus, as he lays down the parameters of his manifesto for kingdom life. We pray that you would give us insight by thy Spirit of God as we consider the Word of God from the living Word of God on this occasion of record. May this morning we understand the difference between the word give, as is talked about in Proverbs, with two daughters that are daughters of a leech, 
and give, as is talked about by our precious Lord on this occasion. May we today, as your people, be givers. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. King David said, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Those verses are printed on the bottom of your bulletin outline. Three times in that call to praise, King David calls upon the people of God to give to God, to give to the great giver. The repeated call to give to the Lord is understood to mean that God's people are to acknowledge, that God's people are to proclaim the glory and strength of the Almighty and ascribe to him the honor that he alone deserves. God is worthy, and that's why we've come together to worship. This is a give-to-the-giver hour. This is a give-to-the-great-giver hour. Some time ago, I read a little book by Randy Peterson called Giving to the Giver, Worship That Pleases God. In that book, Randy suggests a concept that has fascinated me ever since I first read it. And the concept is that the weekly hour of public worship on Sunday morning is like the first fruits of our worship for the week. That we start our, work to, our week together publicly in the house of God for the purpose of worshiping God as the first fruits of what we're going to do for all the rest of the week in honoring God and worshiping God. I love that thought. May this hour be the first fruits of our week-long worship of God this particular week. We start the week together with a full faith intention to live this new week before us worshiping God, giving to God the giver, giving to God the great giver as his glory and strength is due him, giving to God. We are those on earth that believe that God is greater than the world in which we live. He's the creator of the world, and we have worth only because of him. King David said, give unto the Lord, or give unto the giver. King Jesus, the son of David, said, take heed that ye do not give as a show before men for glory from men. This principle of public and private worship or public and private devotion is going to govern the entirety of all topics addressed in chapter 6 of the Messiah's Manifesto. After demanding, 
kingdom citizens be those of genuine character and conduct of righteousness under the law, Matthew chapter 5, King Jesus now addresses the heart of righteous worship and devotion by acts of mercy, prayer, fasting, possessions, and anxiety. The grammatical structure of the former section, chapter 5, was uh, familiar to us in that Jesus would say, Ye have heard, but I say unto you. Again and again in chapter 5, Ye have heard, but I say unto you. But now the Lord identifies uh, two groups of individuals that terribly, terribly, terribly get worship and devotion wrong, namely hypocrites, play actors, and secondly, pagan Gentiles. And throughout this chapter, after referencing hypocrites and pagan Gentiles throughout, Jesus will say, here's the grammatical structure in kind, Jesus is going to say, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be like this. Don't be like that. Be like this. Don't be like that. Be like this. So the structure of chapter 5 is, ye have heard, but I say unto you. Ye have heard, but I say unto you. The structure of chapter 6 is, don't be like that. Don't be like a play actor. Don't be like a pagan worshiper. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be like this. Be like this. That's going to be the structure that we will note throughout this sixth chapter. Now, because we're going to move so slow in the sixth chapter, uh, you may forget the structure. So I will work week by week to remind you of the structure in which we work so that we don't lose sight of it. But back in chapter 5, you had uh, six times uh, the repetition of a structure, Jesus saying, "Ye have heard, but I say unto you. And now in chapter uh, 6, you will have five times in which Jesus, in essence, says, don't be like that, be like this. Don't be like that, be like this. And so for weeks to come, we're going to be operating under this umbrella of don't be like and do be like. Do be. Uh, Be careful I say that. Uh, Nonetheless, in the whole, we get to see how right-minded devotion and piety how right-minded devotion and piety functions before God. When devotion is right, when worship is right, it has the look, it has the, the quality that you're going to be exposed to in the Messiah's Manifesto, chapter 5. In this, we will learn how to better give to the great giver. It's interesting because in that psalm quoted, Psalm 29, and back to that thought for just a moment, and the phrase, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Upon study, we see that the Hebrew thought there is to give unto the great giver, O ye ones of the mighty. Psalm 29.1 is not saying that God is mighty, though he is almighty. It is saying that we are the sons of the mighty. And as sons of the mighty, we are to give to the great giver. 
The Old Testament call to praise God is a call to God's own people to give unto the Lord the glory, the strength, and the honor that is due him. King Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, herein tells us how publicly and privately we give. And giving, as I stare down and look at the offering plate presented at the communion table this morning, giving may be giving or not at all. Because it's not about what's in the plate. It's about what's in the heart of the person who puts something in the plate. As I prayed, the ushers may well count the heads in attendance. But in a worship hour, God only counts the heart. Do you have a heart for worshiping God? Do you have a heart for giving to God this morning? Give unto the Lord, says the call to worship in Psalm 29. Now the first topic in this area of worship or devotion, the first topic is called almsgiving. And nothing we do around here uh, in the modern day is called alms. Not elms, those are trees that are by and large gone off America's landscape. We're talking about alms, A-L-M-S. The thing that strikes the mind by the word alm in the original language is that its meaning is righteous mercy in action. The word alm in meaning refers to righteousness. It refers to mercy in action. Put the things together, it refers to righteous mercy in action. It came to be understood in the day as sticking something in the offering plate. But ultimately has nothing to do with sticking something in the offering plate. The term itself is much larger than the more narrow thought of helping the helpless, although certainly it does include that, The thought is much more than the idea of supporting the Lord's work, as if you actually could, uh, but it's more than that. Under the Old Testament law, the faithful citizen in Israel, living within the land of promise, was told to open their hands wide unto their brothers, to the poor, and to the needy, Deuteronomy 15.11. This was to be done from the heart as an act of mercy, but not as an act of individual mercy, your mercy for another person, but as an act of mercy extended from the hand of God, the God of mercy, through God's own people. The extension of almsgiving with the emphasis upon the words righteous mercy in action. The emphasis upon almsgiving had to do with the heart of a worshiper in bringing to others, according to need, but bringing to others God's mercy as an instrument or a vessel of God's own mercy. In other words, the faithful Israelite uh, Israelite, under the law was to know what it was to labor together with God by extending mercy one to another. Benevolence on the horizontal plane, practiced by God's people, reflected and extended God's mercy according to his pleasure. Likewise, uh, uh, benevolence 
a heart of benevolence on the horizontal plane, practiced by God's people, reflects and extends God's mercy according to his pleasure. If the Old Testament saint knew God and sought to please God, he or she would seek to be a vessel of mercy. This is how a person manifests piety. This is how a righteous person manifests uh, that sense of devotion. This is how a, a righteous person worships. Alms builds upon the concept of being in the hands of God, a vessel of his mercy. Now, we talked a lot about mercy in chapter 5 as it relates to the righteous character of the believer. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, Jesus said, chapter 5. But now, Jesus is talking about how that mercy is activated in regards to the realities of life here and now. And it gives an indication, a clear indication, of uh, the reality of the heart of worship, or the heart of devotion, or the heart of, of piety. Uh, we in, the, in Baptist circles talk of having devotions. Uh, but God is not interested so much in having, us having devotions as he's interested in us being devotional. Uh, we are certainly, uh, as we are devotional, uh, going to do things, going to have things be a part of our schedule and part of our routine. But ultimately, it's not about the perfunctory exercise of a routine, but it is about the expression of a heart towards God. The Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible says, quote, Gradually, almsgiving among the Jewish people lost the motive of inner compassion and gratitude to God, and was regarded as a meritorious act with sacrificial and atoning values. What? What? What did that say? That said that something that God implemented in Israel for Israelites to do in the land of uh, promise as evidence of their giving to the Lord, the glory that is due his name, that the things that they were doing, it became about the thing and not him. It became about it, not him. It, not him. It, not him. It, not him. And eventually it became thought to be meritorious. I gave my money. God owes me a good week. That was the deterioration of sin. Take hold in Old Testament Israel. Now, that's a serious error. And that is the error that is specifically being confronted by King Jesus in this portion of his manifesto. Jewish rabbinical tradition in Jesus' day codified the said error in writing. But I just say, the Jewish rabbinical traditions of the day actually wrote down in their traditions the heresy 
that stands absolutely contrary to the plain reading of the Word of God. One of the apocryphal books says, quote, As water will quench a flaming fire, you don't know about that, here's a little fire, you throw some water on it, so charity will atone for sin. What do modern Jewish worshipers following the traditions of Judaism, what do they believe? They believe that when love will win the day. They believe that charity, that good, will atone for sin. Is that right? Absolutely not. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the of Jesus. That's what we preach. That's what we believe. But that is not the codified teaching of Judaism. Another of the apocryphal books says, For charity will save a man. It will expiate any sin. Now, think about that error. Think about that egregious error. Taking, as it were, the word of God, the law of God, that, uh, that caused uh, people in the land of promise to, to live with an open hand towards their brethren, to live with an open hand towards the poor, and the needy, uh, to live with a sense of understanding that from the heart of, uh, of a worshiper, a uh, worshiper of God, comes this practice of giving to others as an extension of God's mercy to them. And when the person who was the receiver uh, received something of that worshiper and said to the worshiper, well, thank you, the person would say, well, you don't have to thank me, thank God, because God gave to me and I was able to give to you. And so when you come out of the services on Sunday morning, you say, well, good, uh, good sermon, Pastor. I say, bless the Lord. Or I say to you, I can't give you anything that I don't get. Anything I have for you today, I receive from the Lord. It doesn't just come from within me. <laughs> I have very little to give to you this morning, but boy, God sure has a lot to give to you today. And I would be a vessel of the truth of God today. It's the same way in preaching. It's the same way in teaching. It's the same way in giving. It's the same way in regards to worship and devotion. We devote ourselves to the Lord. We manifest our piety. We manifest our devotion. We show ourselves as worshiping God by what we do with our stuff. And Jesus is talking about that in this particular uh, uh, text of Scripture. Now, if it wasn't bad enough to talk about Judaism and the corruptions of that principle under their thoughts, uh, uh, just think about the aspect of how that Jewish error was deliberately picked up and promoted by Roman Catholicism, even unto our day. Here we are in the world of calendar Christianity, the high world of calendar Christianity, as uh, dictated to by uh, 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 leaders called Christian, and one former pope pronounced concerning this period of time on the calendar, quote, by prayer we appease God, by 
fasting, we extinguish lust. And by alms, we redeem our sins. That is heresy. That is anti-gospel. And yet that is the preaching of calendar Christianity all around us in this day. Listen, that's not just a warp of the truth. That is not the truth. And if we're not careful, we will go in our own ways, like the Jewish people of old, we'll go like Roman Catholicism, we'll continue to do our little perfunctory things here and there and satisfy our souls that we're doing good before God and live with a sense of expectation from God because we bowed and we curtsied. Rather than the aspect of having a heart that is just warm towards God. Making matters worse in the Lord's day, in addition to the doctrinal error associated with one's acts of mercy, prayer, and fasting, was the heartless practice of such devotions and acts of piety. And you would expect that, that the more people depend upon their own created rituals, the more that people depend upon their own created routines. And I'm not, I'm not advocating uh, uh, the aspect of the breaking of any routines. If you know me at all, you know that I'm a peanut butter toast and a piece of yogurt thing every single day. Every single day for breakfast, I eat the same thing. Basically, for lunch, I eat the same thing every day because I love routine. I love regular things. So many things in the ministry life is off the reservation. I just love routine. I love routine. And so I'm not knocking disciplines. I'm not knocking routines. But I'm just saying, if all you got is your routines, you don't have much. King Jesus did not say, stop giving. King Jesus did not say, stop acting in mercy but do so for the right reasons in the right way. Have you looked at your watch lately? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's 15 minutes to the top of the hour, and that was the introduction. Did you bring your lunch? No, you didn't. You'll eat tonight chili, I trust. I'll get done. I'll get done. With these things in view, it becomes rather easy that I jest the profundity of the Lord's instruction here concerning alms or acts of mercy expressed in devotion to God. Number one, hypocritical giving is characterized by King Jesus, verses 1 and 2, as man-centered and self-satisfying. Jesus said, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, truly, amen, I say unto you, they have their reward. The words to be seen, verse 1, come from the Greek word translated into English as theatrics. Theatrics. Acts of mercy and benevolent giving is not to be a Broadway production or promotion. Building upon that 
base of illustrative wording is the word hypocrite, verse 2, which literally references a play actor. Herein is a person acting or portraying someone they are not. A play actor is a person portraying someone they are not. Jesus said that our devotion, our worship, is not to be a matter of theatrics. And that it's not certainly to be a matter of play acting. Many of the most religious people in Jesus' day were not at all right with God. They looked as if they were doing right in honor to God, but in fact it was a sham. The truth was, and often is, that public worship and personal acts of mercy are done for the press release in regard to men, not God. King Jesus said that religious Jews of his day blew their own horn. And all the commentators say the same thing, and they all say there is no historical evidence that religious leaders physically blew horns before them, as we know that they did blow horns before King Caesar, whenever he came into town. But Jesus said uh, that uh, this blowing of your own horn is an apt way to describe certain individuals in the context of public worship. They do what they do to be seen. They do what they do uh, for the glory of men. The word reward in verses 1 and 2 could also be translated fruit. The father's fruit is not to be found in the life of the religious play actor. And when he or she gives, it is a self-rewarding enterprise. And it is a self-rewarding enterprise without present or eternal fruit from God. The religious, as such, secure the doxology of men, but not God. They propose to give to the great giver, and yet it just is not true relative to the heart of that giver. Jesus makes it very clear that hypocritical giving is not to be named among the, name, the people of God. Or in other words, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Then the complementary other side of the coin has to do with holy giving, verses 3 and 4. Holy giving is characterized by King Jesus in verse 3 and 4 as God-centered and God-satisfying. Verse 3, but when thou doest alms, or when you give, or when you act righteously in mercy, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Please note the word when in verse 3. It says when you give not if you give. Jesus assumes that kingdom citizens 
Jesus assumes that worshipers of God, those devoted to the Lord, will be giving, will be generous people, one to another, and especially to the needy. The clear indication of some sense of secrecy in giving, as commended here, seems to conflict with the former imperative to the disciples that they should, quote, let their light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. So the question is, are we to act to shine or act to keep secret? Are we to act to shine or are we to act to keep secret? Are we to act and say, look at me? Or are we to act and say, don't look at me? Are we to act to shine or are we to act to keep secret? Commentator A.B. Bruce says, we are to show or shine when we are tempted to hide, and we are to hide when we are tempted to show. The right hand, for the most part, in human beings is the dominant hand of strength and action. I throw right-handed. And uh, I can throw left-handed. I mean, I can mechanically get it done, but it doesn't go where I want it to go. Uh, today, when, uh, uh, when the four boys, uh, Levi and Ben and Austin and Eli, they like to sit on that window edge, uh, they reminded me of, the, of those little dummies that you have at the fair, and you grab a ball, and you throw it at a dummy. And if I were to have a ball and throw it at, they're not dummies, but if I were to have a ball and throw it at one of those guys sitting in the window ledge, if I threw it right-handed, I'd have a pretty fair shot at hitting them. If I threw it left-handed, goodbye window. Uh, you understand that the right hand is the, is the dominant hand. I throw right-handed, I bat right-handed, I write uh, right-handed. Uh, uh, the proverbial phrase, don't let the left hand know what the right hand doeth is based upon the fact that in physical life, things are done by the right hand that just do not, as a matter of fact, involve the left hand. So when you throw a ball with your right hand, it doesn't involve the left hand at all. It doesn't mean that the left hand is somehow ignorant of what the right hand did. And I know people that get after their own hands and say, don't do that. Stop doing that as if it's detached from them. But it's not a, your hand is not detached from you. It's a part of you. It is a reflection of your heart. You can't with your hand pinch somebody and say, stupid hand, you shouldn't have done that. No, you pinched them. You pinched them. And the admonition, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing, is simply, is simply acknowledging the aspect of the fact of being generous in the way in which God has made you to be generous as an extension of God's own mercy and not to be all hung up about every jot and tittle, not be worried necessarily about your personal budget report in the moment of time. The phrase does not mean advertise your actions of mercy so as to be known by anyone, but rather to let God see it. 
to let God know. He does know what you do for good in his glory. And so there's no need to advertise. There's no need for you to ultimately worry about shining or being secret. The responsibility is, is from your heart to act as before God as an extension of God's mercy. Giving or acts of mercy done to God's glory unpretentiously and without thought of getting a thank you note from someone helps secure God's fruit and reward. Now listen carefully for the pushback on an error. If you get a thank you note from one helped by your extension of mercy, it no more robs you of God's pleasure or God's reward than when you thank me for the sermon well prepared, prayed over, and preached. God is not so fickle. God is not so fickle as to say, oh, 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 oh. T.W. heard good sermon from a deacon, and so I'm not giving him any eternal credit for the work he did on that sermon because he got his reward, uh, his reward from Deacon Bob. That is just holding God in contempt. You do not rob a believer by thanking them. Let me tell you this. Don't ever fail to thank people for what they do. You do not rob anybody. And neither do you give the preacher a big head when you tell them it was a good lesson, it was a good sermon, it was a good study. Your concern about the head is not equal to God's concern about the heart. Big heads can be a problem, but never as serious as little hearts. God is concerned about the puny heartedness of his people. Giving to the great giver from the heart is making an investment with God regardless of one's wealth, regardless of one's health, regardless of one's stealth. On the horizontal plane, we are to give to the needy, not the lazy. We are to give as a demonstration of the love of God to others. We are to give substantively as we have received and sacrificially, knowing that no man can outgive God. King Jesus said, Don't be a play actor. Rather, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And above all, give to the great giver out of your heart and out of appreciation for that which you've received from him. And what exactly have you and I received of God? What exactly have we received of him? We've received of God his greatest gift. Jesus Christ our Lord, the gift unspeakable And this particular period, this holiday period, we're ending our worship hour with the little singing of the song, Wounded for Me, 
risen for me, all because Jesus was given for me. God's the great giver. You and I are called to give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Father, may this congregation be genuinely a giving congregation. 